Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. The Rose Bowl. The game that inspired the college football bowl season has a long and storied history. The stadium itself is 100 years old, and in celebration of it, Pigskin Dispatch is assembling some of the top historians and authors to share the memories, people, and events that make the granddaddy of them all the special game that it is. Enjoy this Rose Bowl memory from pigskindispatch.com. Football friends, this is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And we are going to pick up on a conversation that we had just a couple days ago with author Timothy P. Brown of FootballArchaeology.com. We thanked him for joining us. And he's going to keep on explaining these two military Rose Bowls we had in a row. Two days ago, in that episode, he talked about the Rose Bowl of 1918, uh, the 1917 season and the military that was going on there with the two military teams. And he's continuing his topic on a, one that we talked about yesterday with Joe Ziemba, uh, but they both talk a little bit about some different aspects of this 1919 Rose Bowl and the 1918 collegiate season. So I think you're going to enjoy this chat with Timothy P. Brown, as always. I, you know, I think the 1918 season was the oddest in the history of football. Um, and for, for two primary reasons. One is that um, throughout the summer, the Army had been talking with and, and training uh, folks at almost at the vast majority of American colleges about this program called the, the um yeah, you know, the Students Army Training Corps. So it's SATC. And all along, they had been saying that this was going to be um, voluntary. If somebody wants to join, they can join it. And basically, it's going to be something like ROTC. You know, you get paid, you wear a uniform, yada, yada. Uh, you take some military courses, but you remain a college student. Well, right before, uh, like early September, um, all of a sudden they announced, no, we've changed our mind. This is going to be, you know, essentially it's mandatory. So if the school signed up um, to participate in this program, all able-bodied men who were students had to be members of the SATC. And so, um, and then they had tremendous restrictions on the soldiers uh, and student soldiers. You know, they, 
um, they had to take specified classes. They, you know, their their day was was laid out for them, just like being in the army, right? Um, their weekends were pretty much laid out for them. They they couldn't be gone from campus, you know, more than about a ten hour period on Saturdays, um, and so the the implication of all that was how the heck are we going to play football games <laughs> under those conditions? Cause they didn't have much time to practice. Um, and so a lot of teams just didn't play at all or, you know, um, others played, but they kind of considered it an SATC team than rather than a real varsity team. But most, most schools went and carried on. Um, but all of a sudden you had this thing going on where, everybody had to reschedule themselves, you know, cause they had planned either they were going to be traveling or somebody else was going to be traveling, um, you know, to get to the game. So all you could really do is play neighboring schools or um, the other people who also got real attractive, which is kind of counterintuitive, but military teams, they weren't restricted. So they were the ones who did the traveling, which is kind of, it's like, okay, we can't let the students, <laughs> travel but we do let the military guys travel which really made no sense but you know that's kind of the way it worked out um so you have that going on plus and so you know people rejiggered their schedule and like mare island you know started off they were playing a bunch of teams in the bay area um they played saint mary's and they, i think they played uh, they played cal twice you know two week two weekends in a row you know, things like that and um out out on the eastern side of uh of the country there was a a big training facility called great lakes you know just north of chicago um and they ran into the same kind of thing but you know they started their season and most of the teams they played during the season were big 10 schools um you know they they opened with iowa then they played illinois they played northwestern later on um they played notre dame um but, you know, they, you know, as kind of, so they had had to rejigger their schedule. And then about four weeks into the season, this thing called the Spanish flu arrives. And so it starts rolling across the country and, you know, some places got hit real hard early on and then not too much after and others, you know, waited, you know, another month or so. So just depending on what was happening in each community, you know, this schedule that you just rejiggered, the health authorities might say, hey, you can't play this year or you can't play this weekend in the state of Michigan or in the state of Missouri or whatever it may have been. Um, so, I mean, schedules were just a mess. You know, Great Lakes traveled to Pitt to play a game and they arrive, they practice, and then the, the authorities say, you know, no games. Um, you know, there were teams, Great Lakes played, you know, one game, uh, there were no spectators. Uh, well, Mare Island did that as well. So, you know, you had a lot of those kinds of bizarre things going on. And through all of that, um, Great Lakes, uh, for example, you know, like I said, they, they had started not, they had boatloads of talent, just extremely talented team. Um, and they, they start, start the season with some big 10 teams. They do okay. They tie here and there. Uh, then we get all the Spanish flu things going on. And eventually they, they, uh, they demote the coach, a guy named Bo Alcott, who had been Kansas's coach 
you know, prior to the war. Um, and they, a guy who was an ex-Navy player takes over, uh, McReavy. So then, you know, Great Lakes is like, you know, people think yeah, this is a really talented team, but can they really put it together? They go to Rutgers and they're playing, you know, the Paul Robeson Rutgers team uh, for, you know, and the New York writers are thinking Rutgers is going to blow the doors off of Great Lakes and just the opposite happens. So they won like whatever it was, you know, 46 to 14 or something, you know, and that's a lot of points in that, you know, during that time period. Um, then they, they go down the next week to play, um, to play Navy and Navy basically was beating them most of the game. They were up by, they were up six, nothing with two or three minutes left. Uh, and Navy's like inside the two, they run the ball, their ball carry gets hit. The ball pops, pops up in the air and a great lakes guy grabs it, starts running the other way. And, um, as he's running, he's got open field and, uh, you know, one or two guys kind of his own guys trailing him. And as he's running along the, you know, the Navy coach is saying, get, get him, get him, get him. And so a guy pops up, pops off the bench, tackles him. <laughs> and, and so then a quick little fight breaks out. Um, and the, the academy commandant uh, or commandant comes out and says, this is a touch. You know, the rules didn't really allow for the refs to award a touchdown, but the commander said, this is what's going to happen. And that is what happened. <laughs> so <laughs> they awarded the Great Lakes a touchdown. They make the extra point and they end up winning the game. So they were, and, and then literally in the locker room after that win, they get the invitation to go to the Rose Bowl. That's so it's almost a precursor to uh, what today we know is the eye in the sky where a, a higher power uh, <laughs> trumps an officiating crew. We have, sort of have it back in that World War One era. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, the, so Great Lakes is fortunate because they basically have their invitation uh, before Thanksgiving and, you know, they, they play another game or two. They played Purdue, I think after that. And so, you know, their season's done, they can rest and, you know, kind of relax. Mare Island, on the other hand, you know, the Spanish flu is causing further problems out on the West Coast. So they're, they've started the season, then they take like a month off, and then they, um, and they were all like, um, they couldn't leave the base. So then they start, they, they take a trip north, you know, and they, they're playing, you know, kind of anybody who they could get, who also could guarantee the gate, because this is a self-funding thing. So they had to make sure that, you know, there's a big enough gate in order to justify playing. Um, so they, you know, they, they play, uh, you know, play their full schedule, end up, uh, uh, they end up undefeated. And so they're thinking they're going to the Rose Bowl, you know, for the second year. But the Rose Bowl people are like, well, you know, we're, they weren't necessarily excited about having the same team. Plus there are a couple of other teams that potentially could claim, you know, other military teams that potentially could claim, uh, stake a claim to it. Um, so anyways, they, they end up, uh, they set up a tournament. So it was basically playoffs for the Western service championship. <laughs> and the odd thing is there were five teams. So it wasn't really a round robin. I mean, the guys who set it up didn't know what they were doing, but, um, and then they ran into some issues of like, well, when this team beat this team, and this team beat 
that team, you know, it wasn't like a real clear marker, but eventually they play this, you know, uh, Mare Island had to play two games, uh, including on Christmas day. Um, so while Great Lakes is chilling out on the train, coming on up to, uh, to Pasadena, they're still playing and they get a bunch of injuries and stuff. And so, um, and their quarterback and, and his brother end up with the flu. So they, you know, the quarterback doesn't even play in the Rose Bowl. Um, but eventually, you know, so, um, Mare Island wins the tournament, um, and they get to play, uh, Great Lakes. Now, the other thing that's just kind of, you talked about precursors of, you know, what, what's coming down the road. Uh, one of, one of my favorite little stories about the, about that team and the 1919 Rose Bowl is that by the time, you know, the, by the time the football season was ending, the war was over, right? Because that, it ended, you know, November, November 11th. And so at that point, there was nothing the Marine commanders across the nation wanted uh, more than to beat Great Lakes in the Rose Bowl, you know, once once they knew that uh, Mare Island was playing. So Mare Island was able to get um, a couple of players transferred into Mare Island <laughs> at the last minute. One guy from up in Washington at Bremerton and then two guys from the Philadelphia Naval Yard. Um, so they get transferred out and, you know, like they literally had just a couple of days to practice with uh, the Mare Island team. And, um, but, you know, one of the guys, a guy named uh, John Budd ends up playing in the NFL. So, you know, I mean, these were some pretty talented guys. So I just, it was just kind of cool that there were these free agents <laughs> in the, the military, uh, you know, back in 1918. Um, but, you know, whereas, uh, you know, Mary Island dominated the 1918 game, uh, kind of the, op- you know, the flip side, uh, they were on the flip side in, in 1919, you know, they just didn't, um, um, you know, like I said, they were beat up. Certain guys had to leave the game early and, um, and so great lakes wins 17 to nothing. Um, but the great lakes team, um, and, so the guy who gets named the best player in the game was Patty Driscoll, uh, who played in the NFL and was the head coach in the NFL. But the guy who down the road, when they named MVPs of previous games, the guy who got the MVP award was George Hallis. Um, so Patty Driscoll should have gotten it, but George hmm. is, is who ended up getting it. Hmm. So, but, you know, just a couple of quick other quick things about these games in general. Um, there were, um, you know, one of the guys who played for Mare Island in the 18 game, um, well, the, the team that played for Mare Island, the bulk of them end up in battle. Um, and a number, you know, a number of them are wounded. One of the guys who had been a, considered the best rugby player in the, in the nation, a guy from Cal, um, gets, is killed in action. Um, there's a couple of other guys who were, or a number of other guys who were wounded, um, you know, in the, during the conflict. Um, but that Marine team, um, while a guy who was on the Mare Island team early in the season, but not on the Rose Bowl, he was also, you know, he, he was killed in action as well. 
Um, but the guys who played in the game, um, of the of the eleven starters, five of them ended up becoming Marine generals, which is just an incredible, you know, uh, incredible, incredible circumstance. I mean, that just is not, right. you know, hmm. is not the norm. Um, and then Great Lakes, especially, they had um, there, you know, a couple of guys from either Camp Lewis or Mare Island played in the early NFL. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think Great Lakes had, you know, made, like 10 guys who played in the NFL. Um, they had a guy named um, Dick, I've never, Dick Reichel, George House, and Patty Driscoll uh, on their team. And they're the only three guys who started in the Rose Bowl, started in the NFL, and played in the major leagues. Hmm. So the, that guy, uh, Reichel, um, he played in the opening series when Yankee Stadium first opened. And in the first game, a guy named Babe Ruth hits a home run. And in Sunday game, Reichel hit a home run. So he was the second guy to hit a home run <laughs> in the world <laughs> or in, in Yankee Stadium, wow. the old Yankee Stadium. <laughs> Um, and then like, you know, six different guys, you know, five guys off of Great Lakes became NFL head coaches. Uh, another, you know, uh, Dick Hanley from Mare Island was a head coach of, you know, a number of places, Haskell and then Northwestern. And he was a head coach of the Chicago Rockets and the AAFC. So, it, you know, just this, it's just really a pretty supremely talented group of guys um, who, you know, played at a time when, you know, hey, the world was at war, and especially guys in the 1918 game, a lot of those guys saw battle. And, and then from both, uh, from all four teams, a number of these guys re-enlisted or rejoined during World War II um, and, you know, either saw action or, you know, were training officers, you know, things along those lines. So a lot of, you know, patriotic fellows. Yeah, well, definitely a lot of uh, talent and a lot of football history uh, in both those games, especially that 1919 game, uh, like you said, with the, the coaching trees and the players that went on to, to play in what would become the NFL. Just a, a tremendous uh, catalyst to sort of take football to a, a new era, a new level and a, a new decade in the 1920s. So tremendous yeah. stuff. Tremendous. So even just a couple of, you know, two, a couple of other names that, you know, people may not realize we're on these things, but Roy Andrews, who even like a year or two ago was still in the top 50 of NFL wins as a coach. Um, Jimmy Konzelman, who coached, you know, a couple of different teams, even owned a team for a while. Hal, er Hal Erickson, uh, then, you know, George Hallis, Dick Hanley, and you know, Patty Driscoll. Um, and then, you know, again, there's other guys who are just players, you know, and successful successful players along the lines well great stuff as always tim uh really appreciate you um maybe uh take this top opportunity to let people know a little bit about football archaeology and uh, how they can uh, see your daily tidbits yeah so just um football archaeology is you know is a website it's on the Substack. Uh, it's on Substack if that means anything to you uh so it's basically allows me to send an email or a newsletter, um, which I send out every night, um, which on you know kind of a quick little topic of football history varies all over the place. It's stadiums, it's uniforms, it's 
equipment, it's guys, it's games, you know, kind of whatever, whatever I come across. And, um, and then I write a couple of long form articles every month as well. That's you know, more like five or 10 minute reads. So all of that's available. You just uh, sign up, so, you know, subscribe and you'll get access to them every day. Um, if you per prefer not to do that, just go out to the site, uh, roam around, uh, or you can also follow me on Twitter at football, you know, football archaeology. Um, and, you know, everything that I post on, on, uh, on the site, I also, you know, post on Twitter as well. All right. Well, Tim Brown, thank you once again for, for joining us uh, again. And uh, we'll be talking again later this month on some more great Rose Bowl history. But thanks for sharing the Rose Bowl history and the knowledge, especially right in your wheelhouse of that, that military football that uh, you wrote the great book on. Hey, why don't you give us the name of that book again, uh, too, so people can get that on Amazon. Yeah, thanks. That uh, that book is Fields of Friendly Strife. Um, yeah, and it basically covers the you know, some of the background on football and the Rose Bowl, but then it gets into, um, you know, talks both about the war, the seasons that these guys uh, go through. So it's, it's mostly focused on, you know, through the eyes of these players and uh, then covers kind of what happened to all of them afterwards. Um, so, you know, whatever they did in life, I kind of, as, as much as I could, you know, track down what, what happened to them all. And so it's all there in the appendix or in the content. All right. Well, hey, make make a great uh, gift for the football fan in your life uh, for Christmas here or the, during the holidays. So, uh, something else to, to look at to order from Amazon. So, uh, Tim, thanks again for sharing, and uh, we'll talk to you a little bit later this month. Hey, very good. Thanks as always, Darren. Appreciate it. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, 
That's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.